Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americas. Welcome to episode 264. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. New Hampshire is over. And the Super Bowl is only two weeks away. And our politics and our football are about to reach record levels of interest. And so now is definitely a time to stay vigilant. I can go up and I can say to everybody, oh, thank you for the victory. It's wonderful. It's what, or I can go up and say, who the hell was the imposter that went up on the stage before and like claimed a victory? She did very poorly, actually. She had to win. The governor said, she's going to win, she's going to win, she's going to win. Then she, she failed badly. Now, I have here, if he promises to do, to do it in a minute or less, but the only person more angry than, let's say me, but I don't get too angry, I get even. The only person. New Hampshire is over. And Trump was, of course, victorious. But Nikki Haley's limited success and attractiveness to independents especially may be a reflection of Trump's vulnerability in the general election. In a head-to-head versus Biden, my money is still on Biden. He may be weak, but in a general, and especially with independents, Trump is proving to be weaker. Especially when you throw all the third-party candidates and other potential spoilers in the way. Also in New Hampshire this week, in spectacular fashion, Dean Phillips showed us that he's no more viable than Marion Williamson, Cornell West, or a dude called Vermin Supreme. Google him if you want to find out who he is. But Dean Phillips still has dramatically less support than Robert F. Kennedy Jr., unfortunately. But the playing field is thinning, and Ron DeSantis is out, finally. And America is better and smarter without having to listen to him every damn day. The New York Times called his campaign a spectacular political failure. That pretty much sums it up. Watching his campaign was almost as agonizing as watching the Buffalo Bills implode this weekend. So in addition to a spectacular political failure, when it comes to DeSantis, I'd add an agonizingly annoying and unnecessary experience for America that was terribly painful to watch. That's what this campaign has been, people. And that's what we're in for much more of in the year ahead. And we're going to go deeper into that with our guest in just a second. But before we do, I want to make sure we bring a focus back to Ukraine. Because this week, there was a terrible Russian missile attack. They killed 19 people, including a nine-year-old girl. And at least 120 people were wounded when a Russian missile hit an apartment complex. And the body of a nine-year-old girl was found in the rubble in Kharkiv. This is the reality in Ukraine. This is a reality that's getting pushed aside in the headlines, pushed aside by Super Bowl drama, pushed aside by campaign drama, pushed aside by congressional drama. But it's a reality that every opponent of Ukraine in Congress is empowering to continue. America must stand with Ukraine, and especially with Ukraine's innocent children. Ukraine is 
Yeah, the New Hampshire primary is over. And independents were a huge factor, just as they will be in the general election in November. Who did they vote for? What do they care about? And who can appeal to them now and in the future? And what's next for Nikki Haley, for Trump, for Biden, and for the rest in this chaotic sprint to the summer nominating conventions? Well, we've got the perfect guest to rip into all of that. Our friend, Michael Smirkanich. Yeah, Michael's back, and we're going to rip into all that and Jason Kelsey's shirtless emergence as America's man of the people and what it reveals <laughs> reveals about our politics in 2024. We're going to talk about why more voters aren't responding to Dean Phillips, why so many are responding to RFK Jr., who's on the bench for the Democrats and Republicans, who can galvanize all this independent energy, and who's going to win the Super Bowl. We're going to dig into all of that in a fast and fun episode with your two favorite outspoken, bald and bearded independent white guys. Michael Smirkanich is a longtime political commentator, radio host, TV host, best-selling author, and one of the most high-profile political independents in the media. He's a guy who's been a guest host for voices on all sides of the political spectrum, which is a rarity. He's been a guest host for Chris Matthews and for Bill O'Reilly, remember him, and for Chris Cuomo and Glenn Beck. And he's, of course, the host of his own Sirius XM radio show and a CNN show every Saturday. He's also my stunt double, but he's a great mind on politics, culture, and what's happening in the news, and he's back for a special post-New Hampshire episode to break it down with me. The final week of the NFL playoffs is here, and maybe the final weeks of the GOP nominating process, too. Welcome to the playoffs for football and politics. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 264. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world. January is here. The election season is here. And we are going to get deep into it with one of our favorite returning guests, a man who is an expert on politics, culture, and much more. The great and powerful Michael Smirkanich is back on Independent Americans. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. That that introduction, parts of it were true. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, I, I aim for, 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 for uh, better than majority. Uh, which is barely what what Trump got in uh, in 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 New Hampshire, right? Um, True. I want to get into that and much more, but let me start by asking you, Michael. You're in you're in your studio. I ask everyone, where are you and how are you? I'm well, thank you for asking. I'm in my native environment. Uh, this has been my studio. I'm in the burbs of Philadelphia, and for the last ten years, this has been ground zero for me in delivering my daily SiriusXM radio program. And you've got a great ear to the ground around the country through your radio show and your CNN show and much more. 
But, uh, you know, the Eagles are out, and I got to start with something that's a little, little bit crazy, but, but you, you probably haven't seen the new episode of the, Heights, the New Heights podcast with the Kelsey brothers. But at some point, Travis Kelsey asks Jason, why don't you run for president? Because he's so popular right now. And, and I mention it because it's tapping into something that I actually think is important, right? We've got these characters like Dean Phillips and others that I want to get into, but these massively popular people like Jason Kelsey aren't in politics. Um, does, does his emergence as kind of a people's champion uh, tell us anything about the state of affairs in Pennsylvania, in working class America, and maybe going into the election? I think it says something about authenticity. By the way, I assume you saw him jump out of the box to celebrate, you know, his brother's success last week, the box that had Taylor Swift in it, and he was totally shirtless. It was, and, and Paul, one other thing about Jason Kelsey, I am such a fan of, as I know you are, of the spoken word. I, I really respect people who can put their thoughts together and, and are good on their feet. Uh, trial lawyers, politicians, you know, random, normal, everyday people. One of the greatest speeches I've ever watched was delivered by Jason Kelsey in that Eagles victory parade when he was wearing all of his mummer's regalia. And he just ran through all of the negativity that the team had to fight through in order to win that Super Bowl. Like he'd be a phenomenal politician. He would, and I don't know what issues, what constituencies, what demographic. I just think like he's a guy we'd love to rally around. And it's because of the authenticity. Like there's no bullshit with him. You feel like you're getting from him what's really on his mind. Yep. And and I think, you know, he's a positive male role model, right? Yep. He's a good father. I mean, yep. you're right. His speech is captured in the new documentary, Kelsey, that I recommend to everybody that talks about the rise Loved of, it. of the, of Loved the two it. brothers. But but he's he's kind of a folk hero. And, and I thought about it in contrast to Dean Phillips, right, who has no magic, in my view, has not really captured any kind of any kind of significant support. And I feel like the Democrats especially, you know, are longing for someone like a Jason Kelsey that they could put forward. Instead, they've got, you know, Dean Phillips, which is like, wah, wah, right. And, and I wonder if if we're finally at a moment where people are so dissatisfied with politics that they're asking for the rock. They're asking for Jason Kelsey. They're asking for people who are outside of politics to come in because some of these candidates just think so much. I mean, DeSantis is out, who has had maybe the most spectacular bumbling campaign in recent history. Um, is, is there something to be said for kind of how narrow the bench is right now in politics, Michael? I remember doing a call segment on radio a year ago asking for names and somebody called and said The Rock. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. The Rock? What do you think The Rock? If you today, and you are, I guess, asking me, what do you think about someone with The Rock's persona? I'd, I'd have a totally different attitude. And I would say, yeah, I think we can sell it. I think we can sell it. And yes, Paul, you're right that that's also a reflection on what we're so accustomed to. Yep. And, and I think, you know, if, if The Rock jumped in tomorrow as an independent, I think he'd beat Biden and Trump, right? Even with a late entry, with his fundraising potential, with his ability to organize people, with, with his ability to capture earned media. I mean, he'd make Trump look like, uh, you know, public access. I mean, he'd be able to, to dominate the headlines every time he opened his mouth. But I guess let's take it back to New Hampshire. This is the day after. We've we've learned a lot. Uh, in In my view, I think it showed potentially... A bit of weakness for Trump in a state where independents 
um, were really pivotal. They went clearly over to Haley. She didn't perform as well as she wanted, but I wonder if maybe it nips at the general election and, and, and at a time when, when Trump may be losing more and more of those moderates, more and more of the people that you and I talk to, more and more independent Americans. Are they finally fed up with Trump and saying, yeah, I don't like Biden, but I like him, you know, I, I, I dislike him less than I like Trump. Is, what, what, what is your big takeaway from New Hampshire? I think that Trump has a long-term problem for the reasons you just said, because independents could vote in New Hampshire. They came out, they supported Nikki Haley. I'm not convinced that he has a short-term problem with her. He's his own worst enemy. So, you know, the train could come off the tracks at any particular moment. But I have this idea in mind to deliver a commentary on Saturday on CNN, and who knows what the news cycle will hold in between now and then, where I refer to this as the Rorschach primary, because you've got the never Trumpers who say, look at Iowa. He, um, uh, the turnout was abysmal. He was only able to get 56,000 votes. They're all lily white. We're a country of 330 million people. Are we going to put it all in the hands of a handful of people in Iowa? And he didn't have that convincing of a victory there to begin with. Then factor in New Hampshire, where when the field was finally down to two, you know, she gets 43 or 44% of the vote and who knows what comes in the future. And then you've got the MAGA perspective, which looks at the same numbers and says, wait a minute. It was zero degrees in Iowa. The wind chill was minus 20. Those 56,000 people would have walked through fire, much less snow and cold to vote for him. They're loyal to him. Haley did get him one-on-one. -on -one. She was still 11 points behind. We're going to South Carolina. She's going to get her clock cleaned on her own turf. It's got to be Trump. And like, there's truth in both of these things. My own take is, that I think Nikki Haley needs a shoe to drop that is legal. I don't think that this roadmap favors her. And I'm very dialed in on what's going on in these cases. There's a Supreme Court argument on February 8 about uh, the challenge in Colorado and the challenge in Maine and other states by extension to knock them off based on the insurrection language of the 14th Amendment. And then you've also got the appellate court at any minute the appellate court that's looking at the January 6th Tanya Chutkin case is going to come back. Whatever the, the outcome, it'll be appealed. But that case could get put back on a trial track. And one of those two things could jeopardize Trump's holding, I think, on the nomination, even if he continues to get all the votes. I, I think that's right, Mike. I mean, to go back to the football comparison, she's fighting for QB2. And now she's she's locked in QB2. And she's there in case QB1 goes down. Right. Yes. Like if, if, yes. if it's jammed up in the legal case or this is the other elephant in the room, if something happens to his health, which is a factor for him on and Biden on any morning, they could wake up and have some kind of a health issue that takes them out of the election. And I feel like her strategy now is to just be there all the way to the end, just in case she knows she's not going to win the nomination. She's going to make an argument. She's a better general election candidate. But really, the strategy is just wait and hope that he goes down. Right. OK, so you're speaking to a high school third string quarterback <laughs> who earned his letter jacket, if anybody remembers those, by holding for extra points. And the number one quarterback was an All-American, Kevin Ward. He went on to play professional baseball, interestingly. Uh, rest his soul because he's he's gone. But 
I was only getting in the action if, God forbid, something happened to Kevin and if something happened to the number two as well. So you're speaking my language. I'm the Nikki Haley. Yep. And and I, I think, you know, I think that's also potentially the no label strategy. We could come back to that in, in a second. But, you know, they keep looking at the landscape. And I think the, the argument that a third party candidate coming out of no labels or somewhere else might make is, hey, you know, uh, w- one of these guys can't win for some reason. And we've got an alternative, whether it's their health, whether it's the legal issues. I feel like they're waiting in the wings with this mysterious black box that they're only going to unveil if for some reason Trump or Biden are off the board, which I still think is possible. And maybe the most underreported part of this, like nobody's running the scenarios if something takes but one why, of them but, out of the mix. But, but, but at a Paul, time when- why do you say why do you say their plan kicks in only if one of them is off the board? Because I thought the framing was, if we have two choices and Americans don't want those choices, then we're going to spring into action. And if they're setting up March, it's already you know late January. If they're setting up March as their deadline, I think they're boxing themselves in the quarter where they're going to have to pull the trigger. You know, I, Michael, I, I, I don't. The, the problem I've, I've described it as. Um, remember that movie Seven where Brad Pitt is looking at the box and he's saying, what's in the fucking box? What's in the box? Tell us what's in the box, right? Like that's no labels to me. And I feel like if they're going to run Larry Hogan, they're going to run John Huntsman, they're going to run Mansion, they're going to run Cinema. If they run any of those and they're intentionally not naming a name, if they run any of those, I mean, I think we can play it all the way out and figure out who it benefits. So I don't know. I think they're also similarly kind of keeping this box in the event they can attract a candidate who is transcendent or a candidate who is untraditional. They're not going to put, you know, Robert F. Kennedy in that spot. They're not going to put maybe they're going to put Dean Phillips in there. I don't understand any of the the interest around Dean Phillips beyond the, the minimal amount. Um, I just don't know who works in their in their framework. And I've challenged them on that when we've had conversations. I think you can't put an empty vessel up there. You got to put an actual candidate in that scenario and run a model and see how it works. Right. I agree. And look, we we I, I think we all agree conceptually. It would be great to have choice. I I want to I want to keep people's powder dry and let's see what they come up with. But the minute you put in a name, it's like Hillary Clinton in the 2015-2016 cycle, you know, her numbers were awfully high until the day she announces. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. And and when you talk about it in the abstract with no labels, 43% of the country telling Gallup that they're independents, there's a lot of enthusiasm. But the names you've just identified, I think uniformly would get panned by a majority of voters. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are claiming to understand independence. And, and I've started this show to explore what independence are. And you explore it all the time on your show. You talk to independents. And, yeah. and it's such a growing and powerful part of this population. I think what they often unite around is none of the above. They just don't right. want to be compartmentalized in a box in the same way they don't want to join things uh, like our previous generation did. They'd rather be free agents. But let me ask you to drill down on one component that we touched on. Dean Phillips. Um, he's not capturing independence, in my view. He's getting maybe some people who are just throwing the middle finger up to the Democratic Party. It looks like he spent a lot of money to get 21,000 votes in New Hampshire when he's the only guy on the ballot. Um, is, is, this, is this a sideshow? It looks like he's only got the support of Andrew Yang and Bill Ackman and a couple thousand other people. Uh, he's not an incredibly captivating candidate. He's not even getting the progressive wing of the AOCs and the others that would be a protest candidate. What's your, what's your take on what he is and where well, he goes? 
when I interviewed him, I found him to be an impressive guy. I can't argue with the outcome on Tuesday, although I would say he was defeated in New Hampshire, not by Joe Biden, but by Nikki Haley. Because I think that when Haley was making a plea for all those independents to come vote in the Republican primary, she was taking votes that arguably could otherwise have gone to Dean Phillips. And I think I think that really soured the opportunity that he might have had. I, I don't see upside for him going forward. When I look at the landscape of alternatives to the R's and the D's, I think you got to deal with RFK Jr., I, I don't I don't know if he's going to be able to get on a sufficient number of ballots to really have an impact in this race. I was surprised, Paul, that he didn't run as a libertarian. And by the way, I had the head of the Libertarian Party on my radio program before the holidays, and she told me that that the door was open to a bid that he might still come to them and try and take advantage of their ballot access. I just think it's it's an, an impossible task to go out there unless you've got lots of funding and lots of organizational resources to get on all the ballots. So if libertarians are on them, like why not go and, and do their bidding? I, I don't think you need to perfectly line up as a libertarian to win their nomination. I don't think that Gary Johnson and Bill Weld were necessarily pure libertarians, maybe more so than RFK. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been... Too much media coverage of Dean Phillips and not enough about Robert F. Kennedy when in terms of the impact on the election, because Kennedy is cutting to that populist component yes. that always exists in America. It's Agreed. also he's also I think he chips away much more at, at Trump than he does at Biden because he's the middle finger to the man. He's the anti-establishment guy. And very specifically, he's anti-vax. Right. And he's more anti-vax than Trump. So if that's your issue. And that's what's motiv motivating you. I think you go toward RFK away from Trump rather than away from Biden. So at the end of the day, third party candidates have often been spoilers. I think this might be the case where RFK spoils for Trump and benefits Biden. Could be. I don't know how you factor in, though, another candidate in a libertarian and Jill Stein. Maybe it's all a wash. But the only thing I know for sure is that I have no idea what's what's about to unfold because there are so many intangibles in this race. I mean, imagine this. I imagine if I told you that Trump was going to be indicted for state RICO violations by a prosecutor in Georgia, and that as that was headed down the tracks and lining up a significant number of plea agreements, all of a sudden there would be a revelation that she's having an affair with the prosecutor that she hired, and it might all get derailed as a result. I mean, it's inc incredible. If this stuff were in a novel, you would think it was preposterous. Michael, it feels like, I want to stay on this for a second. You know, Dean Phillips, in my view, is kind of like a D-League candidate, right? Like not, smart guy, impressive guy, not a lot of wattage, not a lot of excitement. But there is a generation of candidates on the left and on the right that are frankly waiting for QB1 to be out of the way. They're waiting for Trump and Biden to be out of the way. On the Democratic side, You've got people who, you know, you could argue Gretchen Whitmer's got some excitement. Um, you can argue that that uh, the mayor, uh, the governor of, of Pennsylvania, uh, Shapiro's got some That's attention. True. But I think the guy everybody's underestimating is Wes Moore. I think Wes Moore in, in, in Maryland has got a lot of the magic that we see once in a generation. And I think he's coming on faster and stronger than any other candidate on the radar. He's a friend. We've worked together. I wish he was an independent. He's a Democrat and that's his choice. But I do think everybody's underestimating him because if Biden is off the board, I think Wes Moore is going to leapfrog past Buttigieg and Klobuchar and everybody else on that landscape. What do you think of him and who else do you see on the second level, either on the R or D side, that's not formally entered, but one to watch? 
I, I think that Gavin Newsom has to be on that list with Wes Moore. And I know that some will say too quintessential California progressive couldn't sell them in X, Y, and Z. I don't agree with that. Um, you might think this is, I'm going to go back to your football analogy. You might think this is a, a ridiculous example for me to cite, but there's a move afoot to ban tackle for kids who are under 12. I think I got that right. And he put yep. the kibosh on it this week and I could, or last week. And I couldn't help but look at that and say, like, that's a guy trying to have some appeal to middle America. Cause if you were only focused on California, he probably would have said, fine, I'll sign it. If it gets to my desk. Yep. You know, I, I think Newsom has got a lot of fire. There's, there's one thing that I think is, is, is that pokes a hole in Newsom. I think he's full of shit because of the reason you just said, I think that people smell, they've watched Newsom over the years. He feels super fake. Right? right. And I don't know if that's going to resonate beyond the Democratic Party. It may resonate within the Democratic Party. But I think if you put him up against somebody like a Pritzker, who's kind of like the Democrats version of Chris Christie, or you put Wes Moore up there or you put someone else maybe that we're not thinking of. I think that Newsom is kind of like the best alternative that they have that's in the mix right now. But I don't know if he's going to pass the authenticity test. The real okay, you're, you're saying he never he never shakes the French laundry. <laughs> right? No, that no. that's always got those sort of issues. Yeah, are you're talking about the, re the restaurant he went to during yeah. the pandemic, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I mean, I, I've watched him for 20 years. So have you, I mean, we know who he is. He's not an unknown factor. So I do think, I do think he, he, he is, he is a contender right now, but I do think that's because so many others haven't entered the field yet. But let me ask you, we talked about RFK. We talked about Dean Phillips. Can we talk about the VP? Cause that's going to become the inevitable conversation now that Trump's the presumptive nominee. Sure. I think he's doubling down and going for somebody like Carrie Lake or Christy Nome, who is great on TV, who he trusts, who is a woman and who he likes. Right. Um, what's your take? I mean, if I had to put money on it, I'd say, even though she's running for Senate, I think he, he loves Carrie Lake and he's going to put her in the mix. Uh, or someone like that. What's your What's your prediction? Where are you putting okay, your money? I'm so I'm so glad you're bringing this up because a poll question on my website was exactly this immediately post New Hampshire. Tim Scott was leading the balloting. I don't see that happening. I think that, and I don't see Vivek. I can more easily tell you who it won't be because I have really strong feelings about how I read Trump's body language. For example. When Vivek Ramaswamy endorsed him, he went on too long. And I could just see the wheels turning yeah. in Trump's head like, come on, man, give it a rest already. And when he invited him onto the stage to do a hatchet job on Nikki Haley the night of the New Hampshire primary, he said to him, Vivek, one minute, Vivek, one minute. And Vivek still couldn't keep it to one minute. Um, I don't see Tim Scott for a variety of reasons, not the least of which was when he was on that stage endorsing Trump. He, he, he seemed a little buffoonish. The next president. Yeah. He's trying too hard. He's trying too hard. It's not. Yeah, natural. I, I agree with you that Trump is inclined to pick a woman. I believe that he's superficial. She's going to have to be good looking. Right. Yep. I don't I don't see Christy Nome and I don't see Carrie Lake. Carrie, Carrie Lake lost. I mean, I, if she had won, then I could definitely see it. But I don't think I don't think she's got any credentials that would allow her to be vice presidential material. Mark Halpern, whose opinion I respect, has convinced me that Katie Britt, the senator from Alabama, would get serious consideration by Donald Trump because she is good looking. She's intelligent. She's in the Senate. And he thinks she could be sold in suburbia. I don't have a better name. But, a, 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 you know, it's not that you and I are being misogynistic. I, I think we're trying to read Trump's mind. 
a an attractive female candidate is what he's looking for. But I'm not convinced. I don't. I don't think it's it's the ones that you cited. I just don't. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Mike. And I think it's it's most of all someone who's good on TV. He, yeah, he, you know, he loves casting, and he wants someone who's going to be devastating on TV. Someone who's extremely effective. And I got to tell you, in in all my years of being around and watching, Paul, I don't know if I've seen anybody as effective as Carrie Lake. I mean, if you just objectively look at how good she is at TV, it's like she was cooked up in, in an evil lab i mean she's so good at it. i feel like trump trump is gonna respond to that but let me right. I two more questions and then i'm gonna let you go one talk about independence michael where do you think independent it's such an overused generalization but we know now independence unaffiliated are half almost half the voting population something like 60 percent of young people and more and more are declaring their independence you and i are talking to and about this community on a regular basis they, a couple thousand of them could, could tip the election in, in a few swing states here in, in the next year. What's your read on where independents are and, and how do you understand them and, and what's going to happen to them? It's hard to wrap your head around because I think there are so many different constituencies that all come under that same label. But we're, we, we are the disaffected, not happy with the status quo and looking for another choice, another option. And I think that this cycle is going to drive the numbers of independents even higher because of so many who are unsatisfied with the two choices that seem to be coming together. So I don't know. I feel like the moon and the stars have lined up in this cycle for a real opportunity. And I don't know whether anybody's going to seize the the mantle and 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 take control of this. Um, you know, others say, uh, well, any other cycle, but the stakes are so high in this cycle that we can't afford to deviate. And I say, no, no, this is the perfect cycle. Let's figure out who it could be. But, you know, we could build it and they won't come. You, you got to have some individual who can be put forth, who can harness all of the energy that's there. I have zero doubt that the energy is there. The question is more of who's suited for it. And I'm not sure who that person is. We all have our dream candidate in mind. I have a dream candidate in mind. Mine is Admiral William McRaven. There you go. And I think that yeah. if, if McRaven would ever step forth, and I've had the conversation with him, I think he hates it when I then go on a program like yours with a big audience and actually talk him up. Um, but, you know, he'd be the kind of person. If you said I, to me, give me a name, there's my name. I, I think that you and I have had this conversation, you know, in, in public and in private over the last couple of years. And I think you're nailing it. I, and I also think it's it's not just presidential, right? We're waiting for candidates to come forward. It might be for governor, for Senate, who capture that independent spirit. Right. I think veterans are probably best positioned to do that. It could be Jason Kelsey, or it could be Admiral Mike Mullen, or it could be somebody like um, like General Milley, right? If General Milley, you know, went home and ran for something as an independent, I think there's an opportunity. You know, we talked a lot in this show last year about uh, Yemi Mobilati in Colorado Springs. Once you actually have a person in that role and say, I'm an independent, I think people are, it's, it's almost like um, Seattle Supersonics basketball fans, right? They're there. They just don't have a team. And if you bring a team back, they're going to root for that person. And I think we're, and it might even be you, Michael. We've talked about this before, too. If, if you ran, I, I think you'd get a lot of independence. I think, I think you've put your finger on it. It's McRaven, Kelsey, 2024. <laughs> You know what? I'd give him five bucks. All right. Let, let me let me bring it back to where we started and, and end with uh, maybe the toughest question. Who are you picking? Who are you picking in the Super Bowl? Who's going to win this weekend? Uh, Kansas City versus Baltimore. And who's going to win on the other side? Uh, 49ers uh, Detroit. And who's going to win the whole thing? So I'm I am uh, I'm a sucker for teams that haven't had it 
recently. So for, it's got to be Detroit. It's got to be Detroit. And I, I think part of the reason that I feel uh, such warm feelings about Detroit is that like Philadelphia, I think it's a city that doesn't get its just due. By the way, if you haven't been to Detroit recently, you ought to go because there's a lot of good stuff happening in the downtown. They're really making the effort. Um, I love the way the fans have responded to that team. So I've, you know, like, like the Niners and the Ravens and the Chiefs, they, they've all had a taste more recently than has Detroit. So are they going, my, my heart is with the Detroit Lions. Is that where my head is? I don't know. The Ravens look pretty tough to me. Um, but in the end, I would love it to be Detroit and I'd love to be watching a big victory parade there. I am with you on that. I think Detroit is the people's champion this year. They're the populist pick. I'm picking them to, because oh. with my heart and with my brain. Right. I think All they're right. going to win. I think they can win the whole thing. I think Brock Purdy's vulnerable. I think they got this magic like the Michigan team had. And I think a Detroit versus Kansas City Super Bowl is kind of what America needs, right? The, the yes. whole, I'm, yes. I'm a fan of the Taylor Swift story. I think it, yeah. it's giving a lot of families a lot to talk about in America that's positive right now. It's kind of the anti-politics of this year. But uh, I, I'm rooting for Detroit all the way. I'm with you on that. And I think if independents had to pick a team, maybe it would be Detroit right now. Yes, I, I agree with you. Let's make it Detroit. All right, Michael, thank you. You for all you do to bring okay. light to this country. Was, oh, hey, hey Paul, Paul, wait a minute. Yes, wait a minute. Let me be a huckster. Okay. Yes, One please. thing I want to promote Go. I have a free, worthy daily newsletter. And we have more than 100,000, I'll say, subscribers, but you don't have to pay for it. And it's essentially my show prep. It's 20 aggregated news links every day from the left, from the right, from the center. And I'm here to deliver balance. And I'll give it to you two minutes a day in your in-bin. Sign up for my free newsletter at Smirconish.com. Do it, everybody. As he says behind Smirconish for independent minds. Thank you for all you do, my friend. Hope you come back again soon and stay vigilant. All right. Go Lions. See ya. Go Lions. <laughs>
for sharing with us her powerful, important, and urgent story. If you didn't see, we brought back Guess the Guest this week. I posted a mysterious picture of someone with George Bush, the first George Bush, and it turned out to be our friend Michael Smirconi. So every Wednesday night on social media, look for Guess the Guest. Shout out to all of them who continue to play, especially our friend Delfino Sanchez at Aldine Tree Services, Houston Stump Grinding down in Houston, Texas, and to all of our Patreon members. Thank you for keeping this content coming, powering us through the playoffs and all the way to the Super Bowl and beyond. If you want to join them, go to independentamericans.us where you can join our Patreon crew. You can also find video of this episode with Michael Smirkanich and every episode we do, and you can get your Independent Americans gear. Go ahead and rock that along with your Christian McCaffrey or your Lamar Jackson or your whatever jersey you're wearing this year. Makes a great Super Bowl gift. And look for me every Wednesday on News Nation at 3 p.m. Eastern. I'll be on with Connell McShane every week, breaking down the latest on national security and politics. You can find it on your cable dial or at newsnation.com. Hit us up on all the social media platforms. And if for some reason you haven't, if you've fumbled that snap, go ahead and subscribe right now on whatever platform you're listening to. Subscribe, share, and do all those things. The playoffs are here, folks. And independence might be the wild card. And they might make it all the way to the top. Because independents are the future. And we're not alone in our independence, especially during the playoffs. Our independent movement is the hope for the future. Country over party, people over politics, light over heat, blowing up the status quo and fueling a new movement that spans all across our country. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Michael Smirkanich. If you did, share it far and wide and invite others to declare their independence and join us. And stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And know you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant and we're all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you so much for listening. Down with Hamas. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. Enjoy the playoffs and stay vigilant, America. Powered by Righteous Media.